The Education of Little Tree by Forrest Carter. It's February 23rd, 2021. The Farm in the Clearing. That night by the creek, laying next to Grandpa, I guess I was surprised to find out Grandpa had ever been a boy, but he had. Through the night, his mind taken him back, and he was a boy again. Grandpa was nine years old in 1867. Uh, let me just set the stage for you for a minute because I think it's been a couple of days since we've read from The Education of Little Tree. This is the night that, this is the night of the day that Grandpa got bit by the rattlesnake, that he had put his hand in the way of the rattlesnake going after and attacking Little Tree. So that night by the creek laying next to Grandpa, I guess I was surprised to find out Grandpa had ever been a boy, but he had. Through the night, his mind taken him back and he was a boy again. Grandpa was nine years old in 1867. He had the run of the mountains. His mall was Red Wing, full Cherokee. And he was raised like all Cherokee young, which meant, which meant he could ramble as he pleased in the mountains. The land was occupied by Union soldiers and run by politicians. Grandpa's paw had fought on the losing side. He had enemies and so didn't venture out of the mountains hardly any at all. Grandpa run errands to the settlement when it was needed for nobody paid any attention to an Indian boy. It was on one of his ramblings that Grandpa found the little valley. It was deep between high mountains and growed up with weeds and bushes and tangled over with vines. Nothing had been planted in the valley in a long time, but Grandpa could tell that once it had been planted for it was cleared of trees. An old house sat at the end of the valley close to the mountains. It had a sagging porch and bricks falling off the chimney. And for a while, Grandpa paid no attention to the house. Then he commenced to see life around it, and he knew somebody was living in it. He slipped down closer off the mountain to watch through the bushes as the people round the house. They wasn't much. There wasn't a chicken on the place like most white people had, or a cow for milking, nor a mule for plowing. There wasn't anything except some broken down farming tools laying aside an old barn. The people looked about like the place. The woman looked frail and worn out to Grandpa. She had two youngins who looked worse, little girls with old faces. They was dirty, had stringy hair, and legs like canes. An old man lived in the barn. He was bald with white fringe of hair around his neck. Grandpa figured he was dying for he shuffled along, barely walking, and he was stooped over toward the ground. Grandpa had been about to turn away when he saw somebody else. It was a man wearing what was left of a ragged gray uniform. He was tall and he had one leg. He came out of the house stabbing along on a hickory sapling that he had strapped to the stump of his other leg. 
Grandpa watched while the one-legged man and the woman walked to the barn. They strapped leather harnesses on themselves, and Grandpa couldn't figure what they was doing until he saw them going to the valley in front of the house. The old black man followed them. He was staggering along, trying to hold up plow stocks. They got in front of the house and commenced to bend and pull in their harnesses. The old black man tried to guide the plow. Grandpa thought they was crazy, trying to pull a plow like a mule. But they pulled it, not very far at a time, only a few steps, but they pulled it. They would stop and start again. They wasn't doing much good. If the old black man tilted the plow too much, it went deep in the ground so they couldn't pull. And so they would have to back up while the old black man pulled and hauled at the plow, falling down and getting up again, trying to get the plow set again. It was too shallow for real turning of the land. Grandpa figured they would never get it plowed. He left that evening while they was still at it, pulling and tugging. He came back the next morning to watch. They was in the field when Grandpa got to his hiding place. They hadn't plowed enough ground to even see over the weeds. While Grandpa watched, the plow point hung under a root and jerked the old black man down. He stayed down a long time on his hands and knees before he got back up. That's when Grandpa saw the Union soldiers. He moved back into a deep fern growth and kept his eye on them. They didn't scare him, for though he was only nine years old, Grandpa was Indian wise and could move right through the whole patrol without them seeing him, and he knew it. There were a dozen men in the patrol, all on horseback. A big man with stripes of yellow on his arms was leading them, and they were stopping, and they were stopped back in the pine grove watching the plowing too. They watched for a while, then rode on out of sight. Grandpa went hand fishing on a creek and come back by late that evening with his fish. They was still at it, but going so slow and tired, they was practically crawling. Then Grandpa's hawk eye eyes caught the yellow flash in the trees. It was the Union Patrol leader back in the pines. He was by himself, and he was watching again. Grandpa slipped onto a back trail to home. That night, he got to figure, and he figured the Union soldier with the stripes was up to meanness, and he determined he would warn the people in the whole house that they was being watched. Next morning, he set himself to do just that. He got to his hiding place, but Grandpa was shy of people. He waited, trying to figure out how to go about it. They was out in the field, jerking at the old plow again. He had, he had about decided he would leap out into the field, holler what he wanted to tell them, and run. But he was too late. He saw the Union soldier with his yellow stripes. He was still a ways off in the pines, and he had another horse with him, but nobody was on it. As he came closer, Grandpa saw it was not a horse, but a mule. 
It was the worst looking mule Grandpa had ever seen, hip bones sticking out in ribs. Its ears flopped down over its bony face, but it was a mule. The Union soldier was driving the old mule ahead of him. Just as he got to the edge of the woods, the soldier strapped the old mule with the whip and it taken out across the field. The soldier stayed back in the woods on his horse. The woman saw the mule first. She dropped her harness and stared at the mule running across the field. Then she hollered, Lord God Almighty, it's a mule. He sent us a mule. She's taken out after the mule running through the bushes. The old black man taken out too, running and falling, trying to catch up. The mule ran straight toward where Grandpa was hiding. When it got close, Grandpa jumped up and waved his arms and the mule swerved back into the field and headed for the woods over to the other side. The circle hit the soldier had circled his horse in the woods and he scared the mule back into the field. Neither Grandpa nor the soldier was noticed for the, for the woman and the old black man had their eyes on the mule. The one-legged man was trying to run, stumping his hickory sapling into the ground and falling flat down every few steps. The two youngins was running, hollering through the briars, trying to head the mule off. The old mule got confused and run back through the whole crowd of them. The woman grabbed his tail. He jerked her off her feet, but she held on, the mule dragging her through the bushes, tearing off her dress. The old black man sprung at the mule and got a hold on his neck. He was flung around like a rag doll, but he held on like he would die if he turned it loose. The old mule gave, gave it up and stopped. The one-legged man and the youngins came up. He put a leather strap around the old mule's head. They all walked around the old mule, petting him and rubbing him like he was the finest mule in the world. Grandpa thought the old mule commenced to feel pretty good about the whole thing. Then they all knelt down in the field in a circle around the mule and stayed a good while that way with their heads turned to the ground. Grandpa watched them hitched the mule to the plow. First one would plow behind the mule, then another, and even the young'uns. Grandpa watched from the bushes and kept his eye on the soldier, watching them from the woods. The valley got to be something that Grandpa kept watch on right regular. He had to see how the plowing would come. In three days' time, they had turned a quarter of the field. On the morning of the fourth day, Grandpa saw the Union soldier drop a, drop a white sack at the end of the field. The one-legged man saw him too. He half lifted his hand to wave, like he wasn't sure he ought to. The Union soldier did the same and rode off into the woods. It was a sack of seed corn. The next morning when Grandpa got to the valley, the Union soldier was dismounted in front of the house. He was talking with the one-legged man and the old black man. Grandpa edged in close to hear them. In a little while, the Union soldier was plowing the old mule. He had the plow lines tied and looped around his neck, and Grandma, Grandpa could tell he knew his business. Every once in a while, he would stop the mule, reach down, get a handful of fresh turned earth, and smell of it. 
Sometimes he would even taste it. Then he would crumble the dirt in his hands and start plowing again. Turned out, he was a sergeant, and he was a farmer from Illinois. Usually he couldn't show up to plow until nearly sundown when he could slip away from the army post, but he come and plowed nearly every day. One evening, he brought a skinny private with him. He looked too young to be in the army, but he was. He commenced coming with the sergeant every evening. He brought little bushes with him. They was apple trees. He would set one out on the edge of the field and work at it for an hour, getting it set in and water. He would pat the ground around it, prune it up, fix frames of wood to put around it, and then sit back and look at it like it was the first apple tree he had ever seen. The two little girls taken to helping him, and in a month's time he had completely rained the field with apple trees. Turned out he was from New York and come from an apple ra- apple from apple raising as his trade. By the time he had all his apple trees put out, the rest of them had the entire valley planted in corn. Grandpa left a dozen catfish on the front porch after dark one time. The next evening, they cooked the catfish and was eating them off a table set under the under a tree in the yard. Occasionally, while they was eating, the sergeant and the woman would stand up and wave toward the mountains, inviting Grandpa in. They knew an Indian had left the fish, but they could never spot Grandpa. They just waved at the mountains. Not being Indian, they could never tell how to separate a wrong color from the woods around it. Grandpa never went in. He left them some more fish, though. He would hang the fish on tree limbs near the yard, for he was afraid to go on the front porch anymore. Grandpa said he left them fish because them not being Indian and being so ignorant, they would likely total starve to death before they could get their crop in. And two, he was not no wise going to be outdone by a Union soldier, ne'er any two of them, though he drawed the line at crop raising, not taking up too favorable with plowing and such. The skinny private and the little girls drawed water from the well at dusk every evening. They toted buckets, sloshing water, and watered every apple tree. This went on while the other was hoeing and thinning the corn. Grandpa realized the Union sergeant was as totally crazy about hoeing as he had been about plowing. The corn was up dark green, which meant it was a good crop. The apple trees taken to springing green. It was summer then, the days long and dusk evening slow coming in. The sergeant and the private could get in two or three hours work before they had to leave and go back to the army post. In the cool of the dusk, just as the whippoorwills started to sing, they would all stand in front of the yard and look out over the field. The sergeant smoked his pipe and the Two little girls stood close so they could, uh, as they could to the skinny private. His hands was always caked with dirt from clawing around the apple trees, for he would not trust a hoe to work around them. The sergeant would take his pipe in his hand. It's good land, he would say with his eyes on the field, like he would eat the ground if he could. Yes, the one-legged man would say, it's good land. Best crop I'd ever seen 
the old black man would say. He would say it every evening. Grandpa said he slipped close, but all they ever done was stand and stare at the fields and say the same things every evening, like the field was some kind of natural wonder they was all supposed to stare at. The skinny private would always say, wait a year. When them apple trees start blooming, you ain't never seen nothing like it. The little girls would giggle, which made them look younger. The sergeant would point with his pipe. Now next year, you'll want to clear that little neck of brush against that farm mountain. It'll make maybe three, four acres of corn. Grandpa could see the little valley was looking might near like there was nothing else could be done to it. He said it looked like they had everything set. He commenced to lose interest in the whole thing, but then the regulators came. They, they rode in one evening when the sun was still high, a dozen of them. They had fancy uniforms and guns and represented the politicians who passed the new set laws and raised taxes. Riding up to the house yard, they planted a pole in the yard and on top of the pole, they put a red flag. Grandpa knew what that red flag meant. He had seen it around in the settlements. It means some politician wanted your property and so they'd raise the taxes on it high enough that you couldn't pay it. Then they put up the red flag, meaning they was going to take it over. The one-legged man, the woman, and the old black man, and the young'uns all came out of the cornfield with their hoes when they saw the regulators. They bunched up in the yard. Grandpa saw the one-legged man throw down his hoe and go into the house. In a minute, he stumped back out, and he had an old musket in his hand, and he pointed it at the regulators. The Union soldier rode up. The skinny pilot, pie, private wasn't with him. The sergeant got off his hot horse and stepped between the regulators and the one-legged man. At about that time, a regulator fired his gun, and the sergeant staggered back, looking surprised and hurt. His hat tumbled off his head, and he fell to the ground. The one-legged man shot off his musket and hit a regulator and the regulators commenced to firing their guns. They killed the one-legged man and he fell off the porch. The woman and the little guns grunt, the woman and the little girls run screaming to him. They tried to prop him up, but Grandpa knew he was dead for his neck was limp. Grandpa saw the old black man run at the regulators with his hoe raised up in the air. They shot him two or three times and he fell laying over his hoe handle. Then they rode off. Grandpa took to the back trail for he was sure they would circle about, making to, making to know that they hadn't been seen. He told his pa about it and expected there would be trouble over it, but there wasn't. Grandpa found out in the settlement how it was passed off. The politicians passed it out that it looked like an uprising and they was going to have to be reelected to handle it and get more money for what looked like war. People got worked up about it and told politicians to go to it, which they did. A rich man took over the valley. Grandpa never knew, <clears throat> never knew what happened to the woman and the youngins. The rich man brought in sharecroppers. The land and the weather being as it is, you can't raise apples in big enough bunches to make real money. So they plowed up the apple trees. 
Word is passed that a private from New York deserted the army. He was posted as a coward, running out on an uprising at all. Grandpa said they boxed the sergeant up to send his remains and such back to Illinois. He said when they went to fix him and dress him, one of his hands was clenched into a fist. They tried to unclench his fist and finally had to take tools to do it. They got his fist to open, but there wasn't anything in it worthwhile. Nothing but a handful of black dirt fell out.